0: Bucknutters. It is Sunday, September 26, 2021. I am Dan Rubin. This is Almost Live, our in season Sunday morning podcast. I'm going to be joined today by the Dean of Ohio State Recruiting, Bill Curlick. and followed up after the break by the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. But first, we welcome the Dean of Ohio State Recruiting, Bill Curlick. Bill, how goes it on a fine Sunday? Goes pretty
1: well the uh, estate, State, of course, as everyone knew they were going to, got back into the win column in a big way on Saturday night. And, you know, one of the takes from the game is that uh, Akron came at a very good opportune time for the Buckeyes. They certainly needed something like that for, for a number of reasons. Um you know, they're still trying to get the defense in order. And, um, you know, I, I really think there is some progress being made, but it was Akron. So, you know, it's, it's really makes it a lot harder to judge. And that's not to put down Akron. It's just that obviously they're not in the same ballpark as Ohio state. Um, and then also it's always good to get some of the younger guys in the game, guys that have been working hard at practice, you know, highly regarded freshmen that, uh, uh, saw their first taste of, of game action last night. So, so that came at an opportune time as well. So, you know, it, it, go into Rutgers now, and, and that's going to be a very interesting situation. You know, Rutgers certainly looked very good in the second half, really dominated Michigan in the second half yesterday. And uh, going to Rutgers, it's, it's going to give us a lot better feel for where Ohio State is uh, with that game next weekend.
0: What did you think of Kyle McCord? He got his first start in replacing C.J. Stroud, who was sitting with a shoulder injury. He did not get off to a good start, Bill.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, watching things, I, I don't know that that was really that unexpected. You know, your, your very first college game, uh, I think it's just that normal that the game is, you get into it, even if it is Akron, it's faster than you think it's going to be. And things are, are going quickly. You have to process. And yeah, I think Ryan Day tried to make things um, as favorable to him as possible at the beginning with, with the type of plays he was calling. And uh, still, as you said, Dan, it was a little bit of a slow start. Um, I think some, Buckeye fans were probably, you know, wondering, well, what, what's going on here? You know, things are starting so slowly and, uh, but he did get it together and he ended up passing for a little over 300 yards and, and uh, they put all those points on the board and all, so it, it ended well. But uh, I thought he did a, I, I think, you know, Ryan Day said, I believe uh, at halftime, he, he said uh, he did okay. And I think that would probably be a pretty good summation of of things. And he got a little bit better uh, as the game went on. So I think it was overall a positive start for Kyle McCord. And I think it'll be an interesting situation with what Ryan Day does this coming Week and of course some of that may depend on exactly how Stroud is feeling and 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 then how he does, providing he starts. But I think you know my prediction right now would be that, uh, that that Stroud will be the starter come Rutgers,
0: but I guess we'll see. I thought Jack Miller looked pretty smooth as well. What did you think?
1: I did. I was impressed with Jack Miller. You know, coming in is. is uh, I guess you'd say the third guy now that Stroud-McCord has been in there. I thought he did a nice job. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is that uh, uh, of the three quarterbacks, Stroud, McCord, and Miller, you know, he may be the guy that uh, has the best opportunity to run. High State, of course, has, been, uh, has used uh, the quarterback as a running threat when they had uh, Fields, of course, because he's so good at that. Um, And of the three quarterbacks right now, I think Miller may provide the best opportunity of that to have some running threat at quarterback. So I did. I I thought Jack Miller did a nice job last night.
0: In terms of recruiting, we have stepped into your wheelhouse now. Even though this was a night game and would provide ample travel opportunities to visitors, it was not a star-studded affair. However, there were a few guys in attendance. Who should we know about?
1: I think the, the the one to really talk about at this point would be Edwin Spillman because uh, even though he's a 2024 kid and that's a ways off when you're talking recruiting, he's outstanding. He's a linebacker, and that's a position that uh, high state fans, uh, you know, have wondered about uh, our linebacker play at times. And Edwin Spillman is certainly a good one. Uh, he was one of the very first. 2,024 offers, scholarship offers that the Buckeyes made uh, when he was offered. There weren't many other offers out there for 2,024 prospects, and, and he got one of them. He's a 6'2", 200-pounder from Nashville, Limpscomb. He came up here with his father and uh, gained that he had a very good time. He actually visited Ohio State uh, during the day yesterday on Saturday. He's uh, heading home uh, this morning to Tennessee, and Ohio State is certainly a top choice of his. So, um, yeah, I think all went well there. Uh, Other than him, uh, it was a number of the uh, Ohio State commitments there for sure, as would always be expected at games. And, um, uh, you know, even as you mentioned, Dan, even though it was a night game, um, you know, it wasn't a a game, a recruiting game like the Oregon weekend or like
0: the Penn State weekend is going to be, for instance. Which brings me to my next question. What is the next big visit date on the schedule? I was going to say, I assume it is Penn State.
1: Uh, Without a doubt. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be other visitors before then, uh, but that's going to be a huge, huge recruiting weekend. And as things stand now, some of their top targets uh, are already scheduled to visit that weekend. Hero uh, Canoe is uh, scheduled to make an official visit that weekend. He is a huge priority on the defensive line for the Buckeyes. Xavier Wonka from uh, the safety from Iowa has told me that he will be back at Ohio State that weekend. He's already made his um, official visit, but he's coming back for an unofficial visit. He's certainly a huge target for Ohio State. And uh, you've got um, Uh, Kenyatta Jackson, that as long as he does not commit to Oklahoma before then, and my gut feeling is that's not going to happen. He's not going to quit to Oklahoma before then. As long as that doesn't happen, he'll be in the horseshoe for that game uh, that weekend. Caden Curry, defensive tackle, defensive end from Indiana, uh, is planning to be back at Ohio State. So, you know, you're looking at some of the top remaining 2022 targets on a high state's list that are going to be in the horseshoe that weekend. It'll be huge. And And then you've got the class of 2023, Uh, uh, Luke Montgomery is coming back for a visit that weekend. Josh Padilla likely is going to be back. Uh, Christian Gray, a defensive back from uh, Missouri, is probably going to be at that game. Uh, Keith Sampson, a defensive lineman from um, North Carolina. So it it is going to be a huge weekend.
0: All right, Bill, let's finish with this. There has been some crystal ball activity for Texas defensive end Omari Abor to Ohio State. Largely, it seems kicked off by an article you wrote recently. You have not flipped the crystal ball for Mr. Abor. What do you make of those that have, and will you be doing so soon?
1: Well, I think, like you said, if anyone read my article um, about Abor, uh, last week, I think that you you would feel like Ohio State is the leader and that is exactly how I feel. Uh, I think Ohio State is the leader at this point. Um, the reason I haven't crystal balled into Ohio State yet is that it's still me from an Ohio State standpoint that maybe he stays a little closer to home. Um, but Having said that, again, I think Ohio State. If I had to pick, if he had to pick right now, Ohio State would be the pick. And he is a guy that um, you know people have talked about. Maybe he hasn't had a great senior season. Well, I can tell you, he's a really talented kid, and he's a kid that Ohio State would uh, certainly like to have in the class. And and right now, I think they have, uh, as I said, the lead position for Aborn.
0: They don't call him the dean for nothing. We appreciate him making time on a Sunday, as always. Bill, thanks, bro. Okay, have a great day, Dan. We're going to take a quick break, come back with the people's chant, Matt Baxendale. All right, we are back. Backs. Quite an interesting experience at the shoe. Ohio State emerges with a 59-7 to win over Akron. We do a Bucknut Staff Roundtable. Before the game, somebody predicted 60-7 to and a sluggish start. I don't know who that was. Your vibes on the win over the Zips.
2: Well, aside from the weirdness of the Kavon Pope situation, it was normal. It felt like we were watching Ohio State again. Uh, You know, after three weeks of of wondering what the heck we were watching in many respects, with the defense giving up myriad points and everything, you know, seeing a D-line that went out and mauled the opponent felt normal. Seeing an offense that had its way with the zips after a little bit of a slow start felt very normal. You know, it was seeing the backups in and getting opportunities to see some of these younger guys who are the future. Again, that felt normal. And it was, it, it was a bad team. We all know that. And it, but it was a game where Ohio State went out and did Ohio State things. And, you know, that part kind of stood out to me. It was like, okay, so this is actually kind of what I expected from Ohio State this year. And really, it's the first time I've been able to say that. So I'm sure the quality of the opponent had a major factor in with it. But that was, that was the first major big-picture takeaway I had was, is that, okay, this is what OSU is supposed to be doing against an opponent like this. So that was a nice change.
0: Since you brought it up, we'll tackle that first. Kevon Pope left the game a tad early and was clearly perturbed at his current situation. What do you make of it? Is this the thread that unravels the team or an isolated incident? You have the floor.
2: Well, I wrote about this at length in the bucket of bullets today. Uh, this reminds me a lot of 2008, where you had a big split between the young guys and the brew crew who were coming in. who were quickly gaining major prominent roles in the team and kind of butting heads with a bunch of the upperclassmen. Whenever Pryor started over Beckman that year, that was a big deal. And by the way, you know who was a big part of that whole 2008 thing? Brian Hartline. He was livid that Todd Beckman didn't start. And you heard about it all year that he was upset that Pryor was the starter. So this is kind of the tension that happens whenever you have a bunch of really good young players and – they're, they're forcing their way under the field against some of these more established guys. The other side of this is, is that you have more kids in the program than normal right now with COVID. Uh, all these guys who got extra years, there's some players who might not have been here anymore in a normal situation. And the reality is, you know, it's hard to get everybody playing time. It's hard to get everybody on the field. And I don't know this is necessarily a reflection of Ryan Day having a rotten his program or something. I think it's a reflection of the fact that you have a kid who thinks he should be playing a lot more than he is and has sort of reached a breaking point of, all right, I'm done. This is bull crap if I'm not playing. And he decided to go out in Jerry Maguire spectacular fashion. And it's really the only way I can look at it. I don't think it's emblematic of a program in, in distress, even though it certainly is another thing of a weird year of a program that still has to kind of get its bearings. But at the end of the day, I, I feel like this is – more of a sign of the whole generational tension you have between the young players and the older players, and we talked about this last week. Last week against Tulsa, most of the best players were freshmen, so these upperclassmen have to put up or shut up at the end of the day. And Kevon Pope kind of said, "Enough of this crap. I'm going somewhere
0: else." We will see what happens. Volatile situation. I assume everybody on the team figured they were going to get big minutes against Akron, and when it didn't happen, they were probably. Seriously bummed out. He obviously didn't handle it correctly. I will rely on the Ohio State coaching staff to make the best call on his status. The big story, obviously. C.J. Stroud out. Kyle McCord in. Your vibes.
2: Well, McCord started super slow. It looked pretty ugly early on. And then all the way up until his interception after that, he looked nearly perfect. Uh, You know, here's the reality. It's Akron. So I think I said before the game that he could go 15 for 15 for four TDs and it still wouldn't mean that CJ wasn't going to start against Rutgers if he was healthy. But we've been banging the drum to get these extra reps in for the backup quarterback, and you saw why with the first couple series against Akron. You know, he, he got those first game nerves and jitters out of the way and he comes back in to play next week. You know, he's going to be a little more calm, a little more confident even though it's a big step up against a, a, a much better opponent. I mean, Rutgers is actually a reasonable football team this year. So that would be a big step up for, for Kyle McCord to play. Um, I was impressed with a lot of the things I saw from him. I think you could see there was a lot of room to improve. But at the end of the day, it was a nice start for him. Uh, one, I think he started one of four, and then he completed like 12 of his next 14 passes. And outside of that one horrible interception he threw, you really can't, quibble with anything he did once he got his feet under him and the other thing I want to point out is I was really impressed with Jack Miller he came in and he was anticipating throws he was throwing people open his first incompletion hit Cade Stover in the hands in the end zone this kid even if he doesn't get a chance at OSU enough is going to go somewhere and be a darn good quarterback you can tell with him that maybe he doesn't have the same arm talent but he had one throw in, the, in his first series. He threw it to G Scott, and it was an out. Um, and he threw the ball long before Scott made his break. Scott turned around, and the ball was right there, bang. And I went, whoa, that's something we haven't seen in a while. That was, a, that was an eye-opener for me. I think Jack Miller's going to be a really good quarterback somewhere. I just don't know if he's going to get the opportunity to do so at Ohio State.
0: I was impressed with Miller. Bill and I talked about that. He just looked very comfortable. The only thing about McCord that jumped out at me in relation to C.J. Stroud is he has a much stronger arm on those intermediate throws, very little arc. He was waiting a little beat and was able to fire it in there. He doesn't look completely comfortable when the pocket breaks down yet, though he does seem to have some athleticism. I do think he played well enough that if Stroud struggles, the hook may come a little bit more quickly. How about the defense? Obviously, they got off to a slow start. They rebounded, they ended up with nine sacks, this has not been researched yet. Eight of the sacks came from guys listed at defensive tackle. So my guess is that's some kind of Ohio State record. Your thoughts on the defense?
2: Yeah, and all nine sacks came from D linemen, too. Uh, this was a really nice, like, hello, you're still here from Haskell Garrett. Um, I was very happy to see him have a big time game against a team. He should frankly dominate. Uh, that would be really nice to get dominant Haskell back that we saw last year. So we hadn't really seen that for the first three games. Tyreek Williams is going to go down as one of the most uh, underrated recruits by the Ohio State fan base uh, that we're gonna maybe have seen in the last five years. He was a, it was that's not that like twenty four seven didn't rate him highly. I, I, he was a good player in their rankings. Just I don't think any of us anticipated how good this guy looks. Dwayne he looks like a beast. Dwayne Dwayne did Dwayne certainly did. Dwayne certainly did, but the fan base as a whole was looking at shiny objects like, oh, here's Travion, ooh, Kyle McCord, ooh, Emeka Agbuka, right? And meanwhile, Tyleek Williams is like, yeah, I'm 320 and can run, and I eat quarterbacks for breakfast. And he was so good yesterday again. I am so impressed with him. Like, even on the D-line, we're like, ooh, Jack Sawyer, ooh, JTT. Tyleek Williams has been awesome. He's been awesome. And at the end of the day, like, that to me is a real big standout point that we had a really good showing from the D-line. And again, it's Akron. We all know they stink. But it's so good to see them do what they should do against a team like this, which is get nine sacks from four-man pressure. And at the end of the day, like, hopefully this is a jump start for OSU. After a rough first quarter of the season, maybe this will kick them into gear and we're going to see more dominant play from a unit that you want to fix the woes with the defense. The place I'm starting is my defensive line going back to being an Ohio State defensive line. And we saw that yesterday.
0: Yeah, the foursome they have from this class, uh, Sawyer, JT, Tua Moalao. Tyleek Williams and Mike Hall, who, by the way, played, got a bad penalty. But you can see Mike Hall, his off for a big guy is incredible. Same with Tyleek He's Williams. a dog,
2: dude. He's yeah, good.
0: So, so those four are really going to be the foundation of the defense going forward. And, and I got to mention, he keeps flashing. There have been several plays where I look up, I'm like, who made that tackle? And I think we all know who I'm talking about, and that is Steel Chambers, Perhaps mm-hmm. we should have a new process here. Maybe Kavon Pope should have started at running back because we've got a history now of flipping guys Zach Boren and Steele Chambers. He just keeps flashing. It looks like he's going to be in contention going forward.
2: After Cody Simon, he's been the best linebacker this year for Ohio State, no question about it. And, and like you said, there have been a number of times where it's like, wait, who made that play? Oh wow, it was Chambers. Yep, and he's a kid coming out of high school in Georgia. That I remember every. The consensus on him was. He's a better linebacker than he is a running back, but he really wants to be a running back and OSU is going to let him do it. And, you know, maybe he just had to go through that running back cycle to realize I need to be a linebacker and you stick my nose in there. I've been impressed with Chambers. I mean, reality is, if it was up to me, the only four linebackers we'd see on the field the rest of the year were Cody Simon, Chambers, PG, and, and Taraja Mitchell. Like, I'm done. I don't want any more out there. Play those four because. And honestly, we don't have that many more left. I think we've only got like eight linebackers total now after, uh, after Kavon Pope stormed out and Dallas Gant transferred. So that's okay, though. I want to see more Steel Chambers. I, I really thought he was good. And this is two straight weeks where he's come in and I've gone, hey, Chambers looks pretty good. I, we need to see more of that. And, you know, again, it's Akron and we're going to say all these, these, you know, pre qualifiers here, like, Well, it was Akron and they're not good, but at the end of the day, chambers looked really good yesterday. And, you know, the defense until like the last series had only given up something like, like, like 180 yards or 190 yards or whatever. And I have to say that decent linebacker play Cody Simon had an interception. Hopefully he's okay with that little injury. That might've just been a, a recognition after the pick where he came out for the rest of the game of we're winning big. This guy's already banged up. Let's not hurt him anymore. Um, you know, there's a little hope there. There's a little hope there from kind of going through this filtration process and narrowing it down. So Steel Chambers, has, though, like like the second you said what you, you did leading in here, I'm like, oh, we're about to talk about Steel Chambers. No,
0: I can figure that, yeah.
2: He flashed. He flashed for sure yesterday.
0: For those of you who are BM5 fans and listen to the Thursday pod I do with Steve Wiltfong, Steel Chambers is a guy Wiltfong was super high on as an individual you know these recruiting guys get the chance to meet and talk to a bunch of guys and they always have a few guys in every class that kind of stand out to them Chambers was a great baseball player great football player like you said on both sides of the ball great student and there was a play last night I thought that was emblematic of the kind of guy he is and why I think he'll make the transition to linebacker he's an attention to detail guy there was a punt return that Garrett Wilson caught and then fumbled, though it was not ruled a fumble. And Steel Chambers recovered it. He was the one guy who had run through the play, run up to where he was supposed to be, and was in the right place at the right time. Those types of guys tend to have success. So I'm a big Steel Chambers fan. It seems to me now, if they were going to try and beat a team that's actually good, the thing they should do is give the ball to Travion Henderson 50 times. Do you agree?
2: Yes, unequivocally. Yesterday felt like a uh, uh, an opportunity for some guys to get their touches. If you noticed that he had four different running backs to so five-plus carries. Trevion Henderson was the guy who, uh, who who had some early touches, and then they got him the heck out of there once it was pretty obvious the offense was going downhill. He is without a shadow of a doubt the best running back right now. He has that extra gear that Meatball Williams does not have. He has the vision that Master Teague does not have. and Next week, when things get real against a Rutgers team that played Michigan very tight on the road at the Big House this past week, um, Trevion Henderson needs to be the focus of the game plan, without a question. And by the way, Ohio State's offensive line does a really good job run blocking. Um, even when they were struggling this year, we were seeing the run blocking. Uh, so, you know, I think the number one thing you're going to have to decide um, or number one thing you have to do is is to, to run Trevion Henderson a lot to make sure that this team has an opportunity to win. The next thing you have to decide is whether CJ Stroud's shoulder is healthy enough to start next week. And that's kind of what I think everybody's waiting for the decision on Because that Rutgers game is the most intriguing Ohio state Rutgers game I can remember right now.
0: We're going to talk about that in just a sec. I want to make this one point. I watched a lot of football yesterday and we're going to get to that. There are two running backs nationally right now that are just to me well ahead of everybody else that I've seen in terms of the total package by the way neither one will be available for the draft next year one is Travion Henderson and shocker the other one is Bijan Robinson at Texas who looks like Zeke reincarnated those two guys I watched yesterday are really special backs they're the ones with that extra gear. And you mentioned the vision. I was really impressed with Henderson's vision for a guy that's moving that quickly. I think when the other guys came in, you could see Mayan Williams doesn't even have the vision he has. And here's another point I want to make. If we had to give someone 30 carries in a game, I'd rather give him to Evan Pryor if I didn't give him to Trayvon Henderson. Am I crazy?
2: Evan Pryor looked good when he came in, but that was also against Akron's backups with our backups. I'll tell you what, with Pryor, what my first vibe was watching him with that shimmy he has, he strikes me as the kind of guy who, you know, even if Henderson has to come out, put Pryor in and get him the ball on a regular traditional screen and see what he does. Because okay. I really feel like that guy is going to be very soon a big threat receiving as well as running. Um, you know, Pryor a very good running back. I'm excited about him. Um, I do think Meatball Williams is uh, probably the second choice for me right now. But you can tell Pryor has a very bright future. And there's certainly something there. Ohio State hit on both those guys in recruiting. There's no question in my mind. And, uh, you know, here's the other thing. I don't think Master T gets a single carry against a big-time team when the game's in doubt unless there's injuries at this point going forward. Uh, You know, yesterday kind of felt like a, a, a very respectful opportunity for him to get a few touches and get in the end zone. It comes down to Henderson as your best running back. Pryor brings a dimension to the table that I don't know necessarily that Williams does. And Williams is a, is your classic solid, good running back. Like, it reminds me a little bit of uh, when we had Beanie Wells and, and Antonio Pittman, right? Pittman was good. He was solid. He's the Mayan Williams. But, man, everybody wanted Beanie to get the ball because he could hit a home run every time like Trevion does. So, you know, it's a good problem to have whenever you're comparing these guys already to some of the better duos in OSU history. Um, but at the end of the day, OSU, again, right now – Our freshmen look better than everyone else. And that's not like there aren't some upperclassmen who aren't playing well. But this is very clearly a special freshman class. And it's very clearly a big inflection and change point in the program in terms of kind of who the leaders of the team are.
0: We are loaded at running back and wide receiver. It's truly an embarrassment of riches. I mean, we could sit here and go over it.
2: Yeah, we haven't even said a Mekeg Buca yet. The I was guy's averaging say, 85 yards a catch in his Ohio State. I was literally <laughs> just
0: gonna say that. So yeah, it's impressive and we could go on forever. But let's get to a little bit of what's gone on in the Big Ten and what went on nationally as we are wont to do. You mentioned it. Michigan got off to a great start against Rutgers and then apparently left. Second half didn't score, completely dominated Rutgers cannot put up enough points to get it done. What did you see from Rutgers that scares you? And what did you see that Ohio State could exploit?
2: Well, the simple answer is Shiano has those guys believing in playing hard. That's the number one thing about Rutgers is, is that that program, you know, you you used to beat them when you would score twice early on them. And that was it, right? Like back in the day, if Rutgers went down 20 to three, like they did against Michigan, that game ends up at 55 to 10, right? Not anymore. Like, those guys had some fortitude and stuck with it. Ohio State's not going to feel comfortable against Rutgers, even if they have a lead at this point, because that team's fighting. And by the way, they, they're 3-1 now after a tight loss to a 4-0 Michigan team that I don't think is as good as their record, but they're clearly improved over last year when they were trying just to not play anybody because they were getting smoked. So, you know, I, I think that's one thing with Rutgers we have to be, be very cognizant of is that they're going to come out just like they did last year They're going to give it their all because Shiano has that team believing and hope is a dangerous thing when you're the favorite flip side of the equation is Rutgers isn't great offensively. I'm not super impressed with what they bring to the table in terms of sheer talent. I mean, that's one of the most obvious things you could say about this game is Ohio State the more talented team. If the Buckeyes can bring their intensity and if their D line plays like they did this week, we'll be all right in terms of being able to stop Rutgers offense and let OSU figure out what they need to figure out offensively, whether it's CJ Stroud or whether it's it's, it's Kamak kind of Ward starting. Trevion Henderson's going to eat against Rutgers. There's no question. And you know they're, they're but they're they're a good tough team. It's probably going to win six games this year. Probably get to go to a bowl game. So this is this is a an intriguing. Start to the Big Ten for Ohio State. This is a this is an OSU win by a field goal or something like that. Then it's going to be very ominous for the rest of the Big Ten campaign. If this is a game OSU comes out and wins by a couple TDs, we're going to go okay. Maybe their ship's getting straightened out. So I'm I'm really interested to see how this game goes this week. To be really honest,
0: I thought you hit on the super key points there. Shiano just scares me. He played us great last year. I don't know even remember the score of the game, but. They played as well as they could possibly play, given the circumstances. The issue is, like you said, they just don't have the offense to exploit us. Michigan State beat Nebraska 23-20. Not a very good game. I'm not sure either of those teams poses a serious threat to Ohio State. Your thoughts?
2: Well, Nebraska is really good at doing everything they can to lose the game when it's on the line. That's been maybe the number one uh, characteristic of the Scott Frost era. I'm inclined to point to the fact that I think the biggest lament of the Frost era has to come down to the fact that Joe Burrow would have crawled over broken glass to go to Lincoln to play for a year. And he was like, no, I have Adrian Martinez. I'm good. Whoops. Um, Nebraska's a team that I remember when Frost took over, I remember thinking that they were going to finally get it together. And I think what we're learning here is, is I don't know if anybody can win at Nebraska is the simple answer. Michigan state has been the most pleasant surprise this year in the Big Ten. If I had told you before the season that at the end of September, Michigan State would be undefeated and ranked, you would have laughed in my face. Like, I don't know if I would have thought Michigan State was going to win four games this year. And now Sparty's 4-0. They won big on the road against the Miami Frauds. They, they won the Nebraska game to open the Big Ten. I'm not convinced they won more than six or seven this year, but they are so much better than they were last year and that's a credit to what mel tucker's doing up there so you know by the time ohio state plays them it's the 11th game of the year and i'm sure they'll have come back down to earth a little bit but you know this is this is a nice story for the big 10 um you know on a day where the big 10 had a few rough games in a few places um seeing the way that uh the michigan state performed to kind of give them yet another team hanging around in the lower part of the rankings. It's, it's a good reflection on the conference.
0: Penn state welcomed in-state foe Villanova. Richard Hamilton had 16 points and Penn state won 38, 17. We are not going to talk about that game. Notre Dame beat Wisconsin 41, 13. The score is a little bit misleading. I watched this game. I'm sorry. These teams just don't do it for me. I, that might be some kind of bias against you know other Midwest powers, but I just don't see either one of them being that good. What am I missing?
2: Nothing. You're missing Graham Mertz being the player we thought he was going to be at Wisconsin. Talk about a kid, by the way who we watched him last year. I remember that debut game he had last year before, like half of Wisconsin team got COVID and he's bombing the ball all over the field, looking like a passing superstar, the likes of which they've only had with Russell Wilson at Wisconsin. And he stinks this year, right? That was a 13, 10 Wisconsin lead in the fourth quarter that turned into 41, 13 after Wisconsin also couldn't move the ball to save their lives against Penn state on opening day and lost a tight game. That was low scoring Notre Dame stinks too. They're not any good. I will say that right now, but the most disappointing player in the Big Ten this year has to be Graham Mertz because I think we all thought, "Oh wow, Wisconsin now is a quarterback." That's why I picked Wisconsin to win the West, and he's been kind of donkey this year. If we're going to be real honest, like he's been bad, and you know, I don't think Notre Dame's any good either. For the record, uh, they they've been kind of skirting along with good fortune against some teams that probably should have beat them. And this is another example yesterday. They don't get that punt return when it's 13 to 10. Notre Dame might've lost that game 13 to 10. Just they got their momentum going and that was it. I mean, it's, it's a very indicative game of how weird this season is. And, you know, I have a theory on why that is, which is I think a lot of these teams that are traditionally not as highly rated didn't lose a lot of guys to the NFL. And those teams that are traditionally more middle of the pack kept those guys in their program for an extra year that they might not have got. Meanwhile, your traditional places like Ohio State and Clemson, et cetera, all had their usual, you know, disbursement off to the NFL draft. You had your guys go in the transfer portal like usual. So the talent loss at the top schools is much more. Um, it's much Netflix. more pronounced, I mm-hmm. would say than it is at some of these smaller schools. And I think that's why you're seeing sort of a great leveling. We saw some very interesting national results this past week. We've been seeing it all year. And it, it feels very 2007 to me right now, where the champ had two losses that year. And even Bama fans, like I was listening to to Mark Packer's show on Sirius this week, driving my car. And A Bama fan calls in and goes, man, we're in so much trouble. Our defense is so bad. I'm like, man, when you guys are worried about your defense, it's going to be an interesting year.
0: It's basically turned into college basketball. What you described is the reason Dayton could make a Final Four run. Seniority, Big Ten scores. Colorado State gave Iowa a little bit of a scare. Bowling
2: Green, baby.
0: Oh, that's right. Bowling Green over Minnesota. Thank you for our strength of schedule plummeting.
2: Yeah, that that um, helps
0: not at all not good at all let's go to the national top breakdown here georgia will be the team of the week that everyone says is unbeatable we seem to flip every week they destroyed vanderbilt 62 to nothing here's a game i did watch arkansas versus texas a&m texas a&m is counterfeit your thoughts
2: Texas A&M was proven counterfeit when Colorado should have beaten them a couple weeks ago, and Colorado followed that up with 60 yards of offense against Minnesota. So, uh, I mean, Aggies a fraud, and Arkansas has some meat and potatoes to them with Georgia's former O-line coach as their head boss, man. I mean, Arkansas is quickly turning into the biggest challenger to Bama in the SEC West right now, in my opinion. Uh, they had a hell of a game. I, I actually was watching that uh, that game, and I, I was impressed with Archie. I really was like, they're not, they're not going to be like uh, big, as much. I said that they could be a challenger to the Bama. They're not going to be like some, you know, top five team. I don't think by the end of the year, but there, there's some firepower there. There's some fight there. You know, there's clearly a program culture built around punching the guy in front of you in the mouth. And that goes a long way in today's, you know, more uh, spread out and try to basketball on grass, everybody's sort of world. Arkansas is doing it their own way, and I, I, I'm impressed with their team. I think they're going to win nine or ten games this year down there.
0: You mentioned what you – I don't know how to quantify it, but it's true. They get after it. I don't know what it is. I've watched a couple Arkansas games, and maybe their reputation has given them a little bit of an advantage because they're sneaking up on people, but they've gotten after it. And for you draft nerds, they have a, a receiver, number 16, Traylon Burks, who is a stud. I was a little concerned. That he blew his knee out in high school. And then I saw last week, you know, this new stat they have where they, they tell you each week who, who ran the fastest by, like, miles per hour. He was the fastest player in college football last week, top speed. So that's a guy to watch. He's a dominant football player. And to beat Alabama, you need a mobile quarterback and a dominant receiver. I'm not saying they're going to do it, but all right, let's go over a couple more. Clemson has also counterfeit your thoughts.
2: Well, I agree completely that Clemson's counterfeit. DJ Ungolale, I I think I said his name right, he's a guy who uh, was supposed to be the next coming, right? And he looks awful, just awful. They can't have any offensive momentum going. And, you know, Clemson's always been a program to me that I haven't understood why they've been so elite, right? They've not really have any history before Dabo. Dabo was the guy who was the interim coach who, you know, barely held on to the job. And then all of a sudden in a bad conference, they kind of ascended to the top and held their spot and started recruiting better. Well, this year in the ACC, the number one team through September is wake freaking forest. Hmm. So you want to talk about a great realignment, you know, maybe this is the end of the Clemson starburst that we've seen it's kind of like you know how michigan state was up top for the best run in program history for about six years and then fell off hard clemson may be falling off hard this year and the reality is that a program like clemson that doesn't have that traditional blue blood status uh you know and they'll argue that but it's true Cle- nobody ever thought clemson was a blue blood clemsoning was a term for a reason um the clemsoning may be coming back this year and this is part of that hyper elite realignment that I talked about of the big four yesterday, that, which is, of course, Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Clemson, who have generally dominated the playoff era. Two of them had very struggle bus kind of games. And Clemson, of course, losing now, that's two losses for them. They're probably out of the playoff picture.
0: The team to me that it's also feels very counterfeit. You see a theme developing here that just is the chinny chin chin team right now is Oklahoma, 16-13 over West Virginia. It's also noteworthy because their offense hasn't been that explosive Lincoln Riley outfit you expect.
2: Yeah, that's been the weird thing. You expected them to win games 55-45, and I didn't I didn't think they were going to beat West Virginia 16-13, to be real honest. Uh, the reality is Oklahoma is another team that strikes me as, ripe for being beat by somebody. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be Texas who, you know, is, is undergoing first year ups and downs, but their team looks like the sort of team that Bijan Robinson is going to have a field day against Oklahoma to me is another one there. It's like, Hmm. And by the way, Dan, looking at it right now, like Ohio state has its own issues. Let's put those all in like a box and set it aside. If Ohio state can get it together and run through the big 10, like it normally would in a normal year, the ACC has nobody that's going to be in the championship picture. Notre Dame is going to lose multiple games and the big 12 right now to me. I mean, the reality is like Iowa state doesn't look good. You know, the, the, the blooms and the Matt Campbell rose is not so bright right now. Texas is in a transition. Oklahoma doesn't look like they're particularly great. Same with Oklahoma state, their champs of those two conferences are probably two plus losses. So when everybody's all worried about who's going to make the college football playoff, you have Oregon out west, who's really the only team. And they won big over Arizona last night. And then you have the two SEC teams in Georgia and Alabama that everybody's talking about. But, you know, that's the SEC. Losses can happen. There's a wide open opportunity for an Ohio State or, you know, if Cincinnati can keep a zero next to their name. And the the Big Ten has a champ with one or two losses. There's there's a spot there in that 14 playoff right now because I think Oklahoma is a fraud. They have Oklahoma written all over them, and you know it's it's again it's another year where it's one of those teams that lost a lot more talent than some of the other programs around them, and it's kind of acting like a great leveler. And I'm really interested to see where it goes. And we got a bunch of big games next week that are going to be very intriguing, to say the least.
0: We have threads pop up on the boards. I guarantee there's one right now on the front row that says, does Ohio State have a chance to make the college football playoff right now? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. I get, I mean, I watch the games too, and I feel the burn when they don't play well. But look, they're going to be favored in every one of their games going forward. So is Oregon. You're going to be judged, you know, at the end of the year, who has the best loss? Ohio State's going to have a great loss to Oregon if things go according to plan here. So I realize beauty contestant-wise we haven't been great. But there really isn't that many other beauty contestants that look that great. We appreciate the Dean stopping by. We appreciate the People's Champs stopping by. We hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great Sunday, Buck Nutters.